Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Uh, Kieran, I, I trust you well. It's, it's such a busy show, I think we're going to have to go straight into it. We haven't even got time to discuss the fact we haven't got time to, to, to have a chat, even, even though you were at the League Managers Association do last night, which... If it was me that had been there, I probably wouldn't have been able to do this for a hangover. But you'll, <laughs> you'll remember every detail, I imagine. So, uh, did you have a nice time, by the way? I had a wonderful time. Thank you very much. Yes, it, very good indeed. Yeah, I, I assume my invitation was lost in the post, but we'll discuss that on another day. Um, obviously, Kieran, uh, as as Sky, I don't know if they can trademark the, the words "world's richest game," but we had the world's richest game on. Uh, what day was it? Sunday? Saturday? Whatever day it was. Saturday, wasn't it? Um, and one club in particular, Kieran, are about to become much richer. That's right. Uh, and first of all, congratulations to uh, Luton Town. It's a tremendous achievement. The yeah. first team to come from the National League through to the Premier League uh, and, and to do it in such a short period of time is is an incredible achievement. It's a small stadium. But um, based on my spreadsheet analysis, they're going to make more money next season in the Premier League than they have made for the last 17 years wow. in in the EFL uh, and, and the National League. And that's all down to the size of the, the broadcast deal um, and the, the benefits that that brings. Of course, they'll be able to charge more for hospitality packages. They'll be able to uh, add a zero probably to their front of shirt deal. Um, so, so very positive. Uh, you know, we, we've had on on the show Gary Sweet, the, the one of the owners of Luton Town, on the show before, and it was very clear just talking to him then. And I think they were probably in, uh, I think they were in League One at the time, um, or just being promoted. That he they had a plan, they had a strategy, and you know, it's it's very glib to say trust the process, but they clearly did trust the process, and, and they've been rewarded. Um, with with promotion to and I quote the promised land, um, but it, it's it's not going to be cheap for them. Uh, you know, we, we know that they're going to get a lot more money coming in, but they're going to have to spend the summer upgrading Kenilworth Road mm. to make it Premier League compliant in terms of the floodlights have got to be of a certain lux. I believe is the word. Indeed, it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, and that's for uh, HD compliant cameras. You have to have the installation, of course, of the VAR cameras. You're going to have to expand the the, the car park in terms of the number of broadcast trucks. Yeah, I think there's a minimum of four that you have to to, to, to cater for. Um, the, uh, the the media facilities have to be upgraded because you're going to be having lots of uh, uh, camera crews coming from all over the world. Um, so, so, so there's 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 things like that, and that's going to cost them in the region of ten to fifteen million pounds. Big upgrade on player wages, but I, I'd still expect them, as, as we've seen for all clubs, the you know, first season in the Premier League, you you make a decent profit. Thereafter, uh, it, it becomes a bit more complicated. You know, 
in the cases of both Brighton and Palace, you know, we 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 made profits when, when we were promoted in 2013 and 2017. Um, Palace have lost money every year since. Brighton mm. have lost money every year since, and, and you're relying on player sales to dig you out of those losses. By memory, I think when Leeds were promoted, they said they spent six million pound in the close season to get their stadium ready, mainly work on floodlights, as you say, for mm. the broadcasting. But Leeds was probably a more advanced stadium than Kenilworth Road is. So it, I think they'll be spending a lot of it. I mean, even simple things like the gantry now has to have space for, I believe it's 14 extra overseas commentators. There's all sorts of stuff. You need bigger press rooms. You need, there's, um, they're in for a real kick ball at scramble. And it's always harder for the team that gets up through the playoffs as well because they've got three weeks less to prepare. Mm. And that, in, that includes buying players as well. But... Uh, Talking of Leeds, I just it just made me laugh this week. The Blackburn fans getting quite aggy on phone-ins because people talked about Leicester being a team that won the Premier the Premier League and then got relegated. And Blackburn fans are phoning up and saying, "Hang on, we did that as well. Why aren't we getting a mention?" Is that what I did? Proud of that. I bumped in as you do, Kieran, before the uh, Palace game on Sunday, um, it, which was like a cricket match. As atmosphere beforehand in the pub, it was like we were going off to Lords to watch some jolly old cricket. It's all very relaxed and happy and far too sunny. But I bumped into um, a Sunderland fan from LA, as you do. Oh, I wow. I think he was probably lost. Um, <laughs> uh, but he was very interested in this next particular story, Kieran. Yes. Um, the Stuart Donald and Charlie Methven era. Of, of of Sunderland Football Club is gone. Um, it was it was never dull. Um, I'll say that. Um, I, I will get round to answering Charlie Methven's ten page uh, <laughs> passive aggressive email um, that he sent to producer guy, but he sent it to questions at priceoffootball.com. And, and as we both know, there's there's three thousand unanswered emails. <laughs> in, in that. So by the time the time he's got to the top, um, uh, and, and producer guy sent it to me. I go right. I, I must I must give this. Uh, so so if you are listening, Charlie, and I believe you are a fan of the show in those salmon coloured chinos of yours, um, I, I I do I do apologise. Um, well, things just, have been a tad busy. Just hang on there a second, Kieran. Do you know what? Do you know what's just occurred to me? We need to get guy to sift through that part. The, the BAFTA email could be in there. We, right. we could, it, it could be that the last two BAFTA uh, awards, there, there was a table un- empty at the back because we didn't turn up because we didn't know. We need to, we need to make sure. It's uh, yeah. God, if, if we've if we've got a spam folder as well, Kieran, that, that could be full. Uh, we'll, <laughs> yes. you know, we'll we'll prize guy off his solid gold sofa and get him on. But yes, yeah, so but this is I presume good news for Sunderland fans in general, isn't it? Um, I, I think so. The you know. Stuart Donald, when he took over the club, uh, certainly said the right things. Yeah. Um, he he did engage with the fans. He, he did go onto the terraces. Um, and uh, that sort of bought him a bit of goodwill. And then he, he didn't come out of the, the Sunderland Till I Die documentary particularly well. It, it was great television. Has to be said, yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of coming across as a uh, yeah a, a sophisticated professional uh, able to operate in in 
quite a challenging industry. Um, it, perhaps it, it wasn't his greatest moment. Uh, so that's that's yeah. I think that's a fair assessment if you're listening in, Charlie. So you don't need to send us another three thousand words <laughs> as, to, as to why I'm being mean. Um, but we, we do now have Killy, uh, Kirill Louis Dreyfus. Um, uh, he's increased his stake to sixty four percent. The other major investor from Uruguay has effectively picked up the remainder. Um, so, so Sunderland fans know that the two people in charge you know, do appear to be business partners. They they do work together. Um, cl- clearly, Sunderland were were not that far from from being our first story in the sense of just being yeah. promoted to yeah. the Premier League. So, so they've had a fantastic season, um, and they, they they do have owners who certainly have wealth. Um, how they choose to spend that wealth, um, whether they want it to be on a more sustainable basis or whether they're prepared to release additional funds, we, we will have to wait and see. But I, I think it's a, it, it's a chance to, to draw a line as far as the club's uh, existence in the boardroom is concerned. Um, Stuart Donald is, has gone back. He, he's, I think he's now bought Eastleigh again. Mm. And, uh, you know, good, good luck to him. And if, and, if, and if you are listening, come on the show and tell us what it's like, the differences between running a, uh, you know, a, a club with a, with a huge fan base such as Sunderland in a, in a completely different part of the country to, to your experience at Eastleigh because we, we, we will love to hear from you. Yeah, he's probably got more time on his hands now, Kieran, but I, I suspect we won't need producer guy to sift through the emails to get his response anytime soon. Do we know much how much of Kirill Louis Dreyfus's wealth he would have spent on increasing his shareholding? It, it it won't have been a significant sum because I think the overall agreed price was somewhere in the region of thirty million pounds for the whole club. So he's increased, I think, from something like fifty one to to sixty four. So so we're talking, you know, a Two, two to three million, yeah, down right. the back of the sofa stuff. Yeah, for uh, for a person of his wealth, uh, Everton fans are probably still breathing out, uh, Kieran. But they got some more good news coming this week financially. Yes, I think had Everton been relegated, um, they were the club I would have been most concerned about yeah. uh, in terms of the transition to the championship because we don't know where things would have stood uh, in relation to the charges from the Premier League, because they're no longer a Premier League team, of course. Yeah. Um, but there was the fact that the the auditor's report was pretty negative. They changed auditors three times in four years. There was issues with, return, with regards to some existing loans that they'd taken out and what would happen to them. Uh, there were clauses in those loans should the club be relegated. But... None of that has has crystallised as such, um, and it now looks as if they have uh, they have a preferred uh, partner in in MSP Capital, which is is an American multi sport multi uh, ed- entertainment uh, fund, uh, which is putting money into Everton. Now, initially, it's uh, it's going to be a loan, so therefore there is going to be an interest charge. But it looks as if these loans um, at some point over the course of the next few years have an option to be converted into shares. And if that is the case, now, this is is doing a lot of conjecture, uh, heavy lifting, or, uh, as it's also known, um, WhatsApp gossip from people who we know in the industry. Um, they, They seem to think that 
uh, MSP will end up with around about 20 to 25 percent of Everton. And I think they've they've probably paid somewhere in the region of uh, 120 to 150 million pounds for that in, in terms of those loans, which values the club at around about five to 600 million, which, which sounds a lot initially. But remember, that would include the new stadium. So I think the good news from Everton's point of view is that in terms of cash flow, um, the, the club does have the resources now to complete the, the Bramley Moor Dock uh, project. Um, I've, I've caught the train and, and have seen it going up because um, yeah, I work in Liverpool over the past couple of years. And, and it's going to look spectacular. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, and and uh, you know, I'm sure Evertonians will want a side that will do the uh, will do the stadium proud as well as the fans proud, uh, and the club can start to uh, return to uh, you know, the, the former glories uh, that, that we remember, especially from sort of that mid '80s period. Yeah, the the response of Everton fans this week, Kieran, seems to have gone from relief to anger about the future mm. the future direction of the club. Uh, nowhere near as angry as Leeds United fans were at the final whistle on Sunday. And, of course, their relegation has confused things somewhat about who their next owners will be. And their current owner is doing his own bit to add to that confusion. Yes, um, Mr. Radrizani, it does appear that the deal has now gone through, or it's certainly that they've that they've made a lot of progress in relation to the acquisition of Sampdoria in Italy, um, along with uh, some assistance from the Quattari Sports Institute. Uh, we don't know how uh, how big a partner that will be. Um, it's been an open secret that uh, Andrea Adrizani has been has been looking for an exit route from Leeds United for a period of time, and we, we've spoken at length that the San Francisco 49ers investment arm, and I think people have to separate that from the sports club itself, um, are now a significant shareholder. Um, as far as the club is concerned, with with a view to a takeover. Now, whether that takeover is going to be this summer or next summer, we don't know, but. Uh, you know, Leeds um, will be at a lower asking price as a championship club uh, compared to a Premier League club. They again, the rumored price in the Premier League was four hundred and fifty, potentially dropping to one hundred and fifty if they are in the championship. Although I suspect that one hundred and fifty will be a bit like many transfers will, will be with some add-ons should they return to the Premier League, as as tends to be the case in relation to these deals. So, uh, yes, uh, Mr. Radrizani probably better not go on social media. Um, he, uh, he he's taken a, a, a bit of flack, uh, to put it mildly, from Leeds fans. And, and I, I know a lot of Leeds fans. You've got, got some neighbours of Leeds fans. And there was uh, what I noticed was, was a sense of... Yeah, you know, when it gets to football gallows humour, you, yeah. you know when you're four, you know when you're four nil down and there's ten minutes to go and, and you start saying, well, perhaps they'll give us cheap pies on the way out of the ground, and yeah, you know, that it was it's sort of that type of you know we're crap. We did, you know there, there was no there was no saying we were unlucky. Uh, you know they said, well, yeah, there's been not enough investment or there's been not enough good investment in the club. Uh, there's, there's been criticism of, of individuals because it's, it's, of course, it's our nature to to look for uh, reasons and and to highlight people who who we hold to account. 
Um, but there, there was a sort of sense of, of weariness, uh, I, I think, amongst the Leeds fans, because clearly last season was also quite a uh, an emotional end to the season when they, they they successfully avoided relegation. So we'll we'll wait to see um, what happens over the summer. But you know, it could be that uh, we will uh, we will have new owners um, before a ball is kicked in the Championship. I, I think it's unlikely, Kieran, that any club who are four 0 down would hand out cheap pies to the fans at the final whistle because basically what you're giving them there is hot missiles, basically. <laughs> well, uh, I, I remember going to Huddersfield Town on a Tuesday night and we lost 7-1 um, uh, watching Brighton and they did give us, uh, they discounted both the pies and the burgers to £1 each wow. on the way out and me and my mates felt it would have been a good night because that's that's football fan culture, isn't it? You, you, you you're traipsing out, and then they they, they literally sort of rolled up. And so we've we've still got a few pies and burgers left, a quid each, guys. You know, cheer yourselves up, and, and we did, and it worked an absolute treat. Yeah, actually thinking about it, I think I saw Hot Missiles support the only ones back in the early eighties, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, which is by way of a musical link, Kieran, into a story about musical chairs. Yes. Um, you know, at times we have a wrong on list that we don't want to explicitly put people onto for fear of repercussion. Well, the Fleetwood Town owner, Andy Pilly, has been um, on my reserve chair, to put it mildly. <laughs> um, and uh, Andy Pilly, for people not familiar, he has been uh, found guilty um, of fraud in relation to uh, energy contracts. Um, and you know, as yet, he is awaiting trial. Um, so we will have to wait for that. And you know, I don't wish anybody to spend any time inside um, unless they, they thoroughly deserve it. Um, but uh, yes, he is no longer a, uh, a director of Fleetwood Town Football Club. Um, he's no longer a uh, director of uh, BES, which is his industry company, which effectively owns Fleetwood Town Football Club and to which Fleetwood Town, oh, I think it's around about £20 million. Um, so I thought, well, that's, that makes sense. Um, and then all of a sudden, um, up pops his two kids who are now yeah. the directors of the football club. So they were there for 24 hours as directors. And then um, after some mischief maker, no idea who, uh, put this out on Twitter, they were no longer the directors of the <laughs> town football club. Um, so I, I don't know what provoked that. And, and you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not casting uh, you know, any any. Uh, Doubts over over to their integrity or conduct because that that's, that's absolutely the wrong thing to do. Um, but uh, yeah, th- there have been a lot of changes uh, at boardroom level. Um, as far as the club is concerned, it's it's giving the the narrative of this is nothing to do with us. Uh, he he wasn't uh, he wasn't an employee. Um, you know, he was he just happened to own all of the shares in the club, mm. um, but. Fleetwood Town have been punching above their weight. Uh, you know, it, first of all, it's, it's an achievement for them to get from the National League to the EFL and then to get into League One. But the, the cost has been a financial one um, and the club has been losing seven-figure sums on a regular basis. Uh, and that's, that was always my cause for concern. And, and we've said this uh, you know, on many occasions. 
what happens in respect of those football clubs who are being subsidised if the circumstances of the owners change or the owner gets bored. Uh, Now, here it's a case of circumstances changing and uh, how do you go from being a club which is losing 40, 50 grand a week to one which is breaking even? Well, there's loads of players out of contract. They ain't going to be offered the same terms as before, so their chances are they'll go elsewhere. Um, and and you're, you're you're trading and you're negotiating at, at a bargain bin level that perhaps you hadn't anticipated. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough season for them, regardless of what happens. Speaking of time inside, Kieran, we often well we joke about illegal streaming. We joke about you know perhaps catching a game uh, via nefarious means, and we always have a little chuckle about the idea. And you always point out because producer guy likes you to do so, that this is every time you mention producer guy's name, he just <laughs> he just does that, doesn't he? It's incredible. That's right. But it, it, extra it, sensory it, dog. It, it turns out, Kieran, uh, um, illegal streaming does have consequences. Yes. Um, and what's happened here is the Premier League has launched a private prosecution, in effect, and, and used investigators um, that, that that is the the man from Amazon, by the way. If, okay. In case uh, people are wondering what the noise is, the dog barking. Um, so, well, we, we, Kieran, we knew we knew what the noise was. I think we'd all <laughs> yes. we'd all deduced what the what the noise was. What we didn't know is why he was making the noise, Kieran. Yeah, I, I do like the fact that uh, the man from Amazon wears shorts twelve months of the year. Yeah, you know, he, he always pops around. It, it can be, it can be puddling it down. It can be minus four or five outside in January, February. Turns up, he, he's in his cargo pants. Um, he's, uh, he's he's got his baseball cap, and, and he's oblivious to any changes in temperature. A man, a man immune from any concept of of, uh, of climate change or global warming. That guy. Um, well, but, Kieran, you can't. They're, they're heroes, Kieran. We discovered this during oh, lockdown. Yes. Somehow, <laughs> somehow, driving a van and throwing a book in cardboard at your letterbox made, made you more important than nurses. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, the man from Amazon, that should have been a 1960s detective series. I would have watched that. Uh, carry on, because this is a sorry, this is a serious matter, Kieran. People have gone to prison here, so. Yes. So, so the Premier League have had a private prosecution. Um, they've identified a gang, which, of course, uh, as reported in the press, is a criminal gang, um, who have had around about 50,000 subscribers um, charging them. I think it was a tenner a month. They've made, 10, they made £7 million on this. Wow. Um, and, and the leader of that gang has been put inside for 11 years. Yeah. See that? And people, of course, are, are doing um, whataboutery. You know, so... This, so you get a bigger sentence for a white-collar crime yeah. than you do for you know, physical assault yeah. or, or, or things of, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you kill somebody uh, in a car, you, you, you won't get anything of that, yeah. that, that extent. So, so there, has, there has been some interesting stuff. And, uh, you know, it also, you know, I, 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 one of the things I look at a lot is, is financial crime. And if you think about the people that destroyed the world economy in 2007, and we've just had the, the, the interest rate rigging cases, which have cost trillions, mm. uh, 
they, the people there got lower sentences. So, so it, it is interesting that the the severity of the sentence um, will this act as a deterrent? One would imagine to an extent it does, but everybody that goes into crime goes in with the view that they're not going to get found out. So, uh, you know, th- there is that issue. But certainly the the, uh, the sentences are severe. The police stroke Premier League, I believe, now have access to the files. So they've got the names, they've got the email addresses, and they've got the credit card details of 50,000 people who have been downloading an illegal product. Oh, quite so right. next step is um, do they go after those people? The simple answer is we don't know. Um, but uh, you know, if, if that is the case, I think it will be um, an interest reaction in the court of public opinion. Yeah. Because certainly when, when I've put this story out, sort of uh, this is broken over the course of uh, the last 24 hours, the reaction has been along the lines of, well, you know, £10 a month, if Sky were charging that, then I'd get it from Sky. But in order to see 200 Premier League matches a season from Sky, BT and Amazon is going to cost not much shy of £1,000. Somebody's offering the opportunity to see every Premier League match for a tenner a month. I'm not condoning it. But you can see why people do it. Uh, and the reason why people do it, of course, is because it's not costing them anything to buy the rights from the Premier League. So from the Premier League's point of view, they are protecting their intellectual property. They're also trying to protect the position of their broadcast partners. At the same time, you know, I, I think we, we do have to be honest. We are all on WhatsApp groups these these days. And inevitably, on an individual WhatsApp group, you will find a bloke called Big Dave, yeah. who will say, I can get you a fire stick for a tenner a month. Just just send me a private message and then whatever happens, happens. Um, and um, I, I was at a presentation from a broadcaster uh, fairly recently, and they were saying, they, they estimate now that piracy is is taking somewhere around about 15 to 20% of, of all downloads. So, wow. so it is very significant. Um, so, so why is it so popular? I, th- I think it, it is an issue of price. If you, yeah, if you yeah. take a look at inflation in terms of how much your Sky subscription cost you in, you know, in the early nineties when it all kicked off, compared to uh, today, it has far exceeded the rate of inflation. Sky will say. The quality of the broadcasting has increased. The number of matches that we now get from the Premier League has increased. The breadth of product has increased. And people will say, yeah, it's, we, it's still still too expensive. So I think there is a price point. We've seen as far as the music industry is concerned that Spotify has come in and said, look, for a tenner a month, you can get as much music as you want. And, and the streaming services, because they've got the pricing right, they have consequently managed to reduce the amount of piracy taking place. Sky have done their sums and say, you know, we, we can't do it. You know, we, we, we cannot reduce what we're, mm. you know, we, we need. We've got shareholders. We've got demands from Comcast or American owners. Um, so, so there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a standoff. 
And the Premier League is now playing whack-a-mole in terms of, yes, it's uh, it's dealt with this particular gang, but you and I, we, we both know that somebody else is going to pop up because uh, if, if I go onto the dark web, I can access the the hacks that are required to effectively you know, upload um, onto a Fire Stick the, the software. You then go around selling those in places, shall we say, um, and uh, you know that there is there is money to be made, but it is a criminal act. Yeah. See, one of the differences between you and I, Kieran, is that you know how to get onto the dark web. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even begin to that. Ed will probably know. I imagine. The, the, the trouble is, Kieran. This is one of those things. It's one of those crimes where people will sit in the pub and go, "Well, it can't be illegal because there's hundreds of thousands of people doing it." But unfortunately. Judges have seen through that little loophole, mm. haven't they? And mm. it's like, you know, the judge will say, well, the price of tomatoes has also gone up rapidly, but that doesn't mean you're legally allowed to take them. Um, yes. So this, and, and, yeah, I, I have to be fair, I mean, 11 years does seem disproportionate, but I think this is a story we will be talking about uh, in months to come. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. A story we've talked about in months past, Kieran, um, <laughs> at Southend United, it's just gone a bit more surreal um yes. and, and it may be that south end fans are in a position to do a big up yours to wrexham fans in the near future <laughs> <laughs> well, well yes uh and effectively uh yeah ryan reynolds and rob McElhenney have have been pioneers yeah. in, in terms of the 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 hollywood sprinkle that can uh, be be generated. <laughs> Sorry, Kieran. I'm, I'm gonna, on your behalf, I'm going to say the Hollywood sprinkle surely is one of your vis euphemisms, isn't it? <laughs> uh, those, those type of parties <laughs> are for another book, another podcast. Yeah, bye, bye, um, bye BAFTA. <laughs> um, but uh, we now have potentially Dwayne The Rock Johnson um, could be part of a consortium buying the club. I think the good news, and, and I, uh, the last time we mentioned uh, Southend United, um, I, I was a bit more upbeat, uh, people may recall. And, and the reason for this was I was aware that there were two or three sort of fairly serious contenders with regards yeah. to, to buying the club. Um, one of them uh, does, does feature uh, yeah, certainly A-lister, uh, Dwayne Johnson, and he he will have seen what's happened at Wrexham in the sense that uh, you know Reynolds and McElhenney have have put in two million to buy the club, two million to buy back the ground. Um, they've they've then marketed the product, and they are part of the product 
absolutely superbly. And anybody that's watched Welcome to Wrexham, it's it's a warm, fuzzy show. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it's it's good popcorn, light entertainment. Uh, it's done amazing things for interest in uh, both the Premier League, the EFL, and the National League, as far as American audiences are concerned. It's done amazing things for Wrexham. It's put the town on the map. And if that can be done once, you, you, know, you know, the world of entertainment, uh, you know, why innovate when you can replicate? Yeah. Um, and this appears to be the, the, you know, one of the potential options. Um, you know, and who, who wouldn't watch a show where, where rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson rocks up on South End Pier and is, uh, uh, you know, is, 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 is on the ghost train and things like that. <laughs> so so I, I think that'd be absolutely amazing. And again, it will, it'll attract an audience. So um, I think it's, it's, it's a sense of relief. You know, and, and we're a long way uh, from uh, completion here because Ron Martin, the South End owner, is, uh, is, is a bit like a barnacle. You know, he, he's stuck around far too long already. Um, and he might see an opportunity to make a, a, a few more quid out of this. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling more positive about Southend. I'd, I would watch any TV show in which the opening credits included Dwayne The Rock Johnson fighting off two seagulls trying to nick his chips. <laughs> uh, he, uh, also, I mean, he's a, he's a Macclesfield fan, uh, traditionally. So that's... Is he? Yeah, yeah he, got, he was doing some Sky... Uh, show and uh, everyone else was a celebrity fan and he, he said I don't have a uh, an English soccer so they gave him Macclesfield to sport and he w- went to a couple of games apparently according to the uh, <laughs> the, the factual gurus that are Wikipedia um, oh, Kira, I don't know how many ways I can put this Wigan points deduction I'll leave you to the rest uh, yes shambles yeah um, and uh I don't like to point fingers, but, but I'm pointing a finger. I'm pointing a finger at the people in charge of Wigan Athletic. You've deceived the fans. You've misrepresented uh, the the circumstances behind uh, the non-payment of wages. And um, you are now uh, having a further four points deduction. Uh, so, therefore, starting next season um, on minus eight, with the potential for a further four points deduction, if the owner um, and and the EFL and they they've done all that they can in my view, but they've they've just got fed up yeah. of broken promises. Yeah. They've asked the owner of the club to put money into a separate bank account, which is ring fence, which can then be used to pay the wages. So say you're 125 percent of your, your your monthly payroll, put that money aside. That means we've got faith in you. Um, the staff can have faith in you as well, because you know how 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 do they feel if you know it's it's the yeah you know, the twenty eighth the 29th of the month whatever it's going to be, yeah. and they know that they've got standing orders and direct debits going out, and they know that they've got to go and pay. Yeah, they've got their car tax, which is due at the start of the month, and my wages haven't gone in again. Yeah, you know, five occasions since the new owners have taken over. So um, absolutely appalling behaviour by the uh, the people who are currently in charge there. Um, uh, not, not, not surprised, sadly. Um, but the EFL 
what are the alternatives for them? And, and I know yeah. I normally pipe up with a glib, well, if only if you had an independent regulator. Independent regulator wouldn't have been able to deal with this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because the, the owners at the time of acquiring the club were able to demonstrate that they had the resources. Um, having the money and spending the money are two different things. Mm. So, you know, trying to work out a way around this, and, and I know I've said historically that, you know, why not have something similar to, to ABTA or Atoll, effectively an insurance fund, which can be used to help in these circumstances. Yeah, you know, that, that is one option. Um, but if you've got people who are abusing the system, um, then, then that money can quickly go as well. Mm. Uh, Gary Neville, I believe, is a big advocate of the idea that clubs should have to put the money up front into a separate account at the start of the season, isn't he? Um, yes, I think when you buy a club or, or something like that, I mean, you, you can't expect somebody to find 12 months wages in advance. Right, you, okay. You, you go, that, right. that would reduce the pool. But I think if every if every owner committed to putting one month's wages in as a, it's, it's the same as sure, yeah, when you, sure, when you yeah. rent an apartment, yeah. uh, you, know, you, you put in a deposit, um, that could at least uh, be used as a pool, as a resource, if individual clubs, because you know, we, yes, we're talking about the integrity in game and le- yes, we're talking about the industry and so on. But more importantly, we're talking about individuals, you know, individual people that work for Wigan Athletic Football Club with, uh, uh, an element of affection. Many of them are fans of the club. Uh, they, many of them have been at the club for many, many years during periods of uncertainty, and they are being treated absolutely appallingly. So at least uh, employees would have uh, a, a degree more comfort, uh, a degree more of insurance than, than they would be historically. Bournemouth fans, Kieran, will be very happy at the moment, and, and rightly so. But they will also be aware that they are owned by an exceptionally rich man. So they might be mm. slightly confused by this next story. Yes, this this is a weird one. We did have a question on the Sunday show uh, about did. Bill Foley. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to get one of the people from Bournemouth to, to come on and to have, to have a chat with us about their experiences of... Uh, of coming from the US, you know, buying a Premier League football yeah. club and and the, and the, the the impact. So, um, I, I can play with numbers, uh, and I like playing with numbers, as, mm. as we both know. Um, Bournemouth went uh, very big at saying we're, we're having to put up the uh, the price of season tickets for next season. We don't have to, but you choose to, you know. Uh, and, and when you're owned by a billionaire, you can you can understand that, that, that fans, uh, you know, there's a bit of uh, gritted teeth, but you know, Gary O'Neill done a fantastic job, by the way. Yeah. Uh, saw him at the, the LMA dinner last night. He, he was he was nominated for, for, for one of the awards. Uh, fantastic job. Um, but um, I think Bournemouth has said, oh, we're putting up, we're putting up the price uh, by I think it's nine point nine nine point eight percent for the main tickets. People go, okay, it's, it's not great, but it's single figures. Yeah, and then they say, um, well, on top of that, you've got to pay an additional fourteen pounds on top of the increase, and that will give you two compulsory tickets to buy Bournemouth's uh, women's team matches to attend those and. If, if they'd said, well, we're just going to put up 
by an extra 14 quid. Of course, it had been more than 10%. So I think they were trying to come up with an excuse to avoid uh, double-digit increases. And this has gone down like a lead balloon. Um, We've got the um, people who, who let's describe as the usual suspects. I'm not watching women's football. I'm not being forced to watch it. It's shit. That that type of sort of tedious attitude. Um, Yet the alternative would be to say, we're going to put up the prices by 10.7% and you're going to get two free women's matches. And if if they present you like that, then then they get moaned at for something else. So I I think this is, I think the optics on this are, are poor because what is happening is that uh, people are seeing their backsides uh, in terms of those those matches which are being played by Bournemouth women's team. There will be um, an, an anti-feeling from some of the fans. They'll be saying, well, I'm not going to that match. Well, that, 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 that is your choice, by the way. Um, yeah, why, why not give it a chance? Yeah. Uh, it's always my view. Um, but... The way that this has been communicated, the way that this has been marketed, um, I think if you are a, a disabled fan, I think carers, the prices for their tickets have gone up by 24%. Um, I've been contacted privately by some Bournemouth fans who are saying, you know, we're, we're not very happy about this. You know, lots of people think that, you know, be, because of of the area of Dorset in which we're based. Uh, you know, we're all affluent. Well, that's not the case. And, and that's, that is absolutely true. Anybody who's been there, you know, it, it, just like all towns, it's it's got areas of wealth and areas of less wealth. Um, and I think there's been an issue with junior tickets as well in terms of you know, bits and pieces. I absolutely understand the owner doesn't want the club to lose money, wants to maximise revenues, but... I don't think this is necessarily the way to, to win the hearts and minds of fans. Carers for disabled fans shouldn't be paying money for tickets full stop. Yeah, It's it's as simple as that. A, a friend of mine, God rest her soul, I used to go to uh, the Royal Opera House with her because she had severe mobility issues and she'd signed up to a scheme there, cost her a token amount of money. that uh, I, I went free. I got a free ticket. She paid for her ticket. I went free because I was uh, there to aid and assist her. And if the Royal Opera House can afford to give free tickets to carers for disabled mm. people, then a Premier League football club can do any any football club at any level. People looking after disabled fans shouldn't be charged to get in. That's, that's as simple as that. Um, if Bournemouth fans are upset, Kieran, then fans of Hensford Town um, will see their upset and raise it. Yes. Um, Hens- Hensford Town... It's been around since uh, 1880. Mm. Yeah, 1880, the club was formed. Um, it won't be playing football in 2023, 24. Um, and and this, is, this, is, this is real sad. Uh, um, there was, by all accounts, uh, a takeover of the club. For whatever reason, those takeover negotiations have failed. Normally, it's somebody not being straight, somebody asking for additional money at the last last moment, uh, the buyers turning out to be forced. We, we don't know the, the, the intricacies of the story, but it, it has left the club um, in a financial pickle. And um, the, the prospective new owner and chairman has, has withdrawn from the table. Uh, and as a consequence, the, the current owners say, well, we're, we're not in a position to, to fund the club anymore. And... Um, we won't be playing football. We hope to return, but we might not. Mm. And 
for those for those people for whom football is a sense of escape and they don't want to watch the Premier League and they, they just want to go to, to somewhere local where they feel a sense of identity, where they see the same old faces. Yeah, we, 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 we've discussed this on many occasions. Yeah, yeah. Football is not about football matches. Football is about that sense of community. It's about seeing old friends. As, as you've always said, it's the same people at the same table, at the same pub, talking the same bollocks. And for men especially who lack social and niche skills, it's actually really, really good because yeah. that's the place where you turn around to one of your friends and they say, how are you? And you say, well, between you and me, I'm having an absolute mare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then you, you find also, yes, yeah, where you find out who your true friends are. Yeah. So um, I think football is a fantastic vehicle for that. And uh, that's now being denied to people who support Henders of Town, who also, of course, get a kick from watching the football and they have yeah. a good experience. And, and it's an opportunity to, you know, to have a couple of sherbets and a pie and say things which you wouldn't necessarily say in, in polite society. Uh, we, again, we've had this conversation so many times, Kieran. I, I, I will say to Premier League fan, I'll say to a Liverpool fan, Henders of Town is as important to football as Liverpool are, as Man United are. There will be Hensford Town fans our age, older, in their 70s and 80s, who have been going to supporting that club their whole life, who will bring their families. And now they'll just be sitting in a chair, rocking gently to and fro, because they haven't yeah. got that next season. My heart goes out to them. We have two more stories, Kieran. Um, the last of which comes with a, a bonus interview, um, I'm delighted mm-hmm. to announce. But before that, we did promise um, last week that they would go into the Ivan Tony story in more detail. I'm, I'm slightly reluctant to do so now, Kieran, to be honest, because I, I don't want us to go over the old arguments about gambling. I think everyone knows um, yeah. uh, our views on that. But also as well because it, it was finally explained why his sentence was so long, but also it was explained why it was reduced. And I think if you could just mention that, Quickly, Kieran, and then I, I think because of that illness, for want of a better word, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to to delve any further into it. To be perfectly honest, but perhaps if you could just briefly explain the circumstances of the reduction of the ban. Yes, uh, in the case of uh, Ivan Tony, he uh, he he was found guilty of a placing bets on football. Secondly placing bets in respect of matches for, for clubs with which he had an association, mm. not in matches that he was playing, you know, in, in terms of those clubs to lose. Yeah. And thirdly, in connection with uh, things such as him, him scoring a goal. Um, so so those were the charges that were levelled at him. Um, I think initially, I think he was given something like 11 or a 15-month sentence, but um, there was an expert witness um, who who was brought in to say, well, that, that uh, Mr. Tony has has a gambling addiction. And uh, this this is an illness. Uh, you know, uh, the, the ability to switch off is is something which is wired into us. And the ability to not switch off, which is you know, part of the reason why addictions take place, occurs in some people more than others. Yeah. Um, and, and as a result of that, uh, his his sentence was reduced to eight months. Um, again, you know, the court of social media is a toxic one. Mm. Um, and uh, some of the reactions, I think, have been 
over the top. I think they show a lack of understanding of circumstance. Um, I, I just you know, wish wish him a, a an opportunity to come to terms with 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 this condition uh, to to get assistance from the appropriate people. Um, and he's got to return to work next January wearing the shirt of a gambling company. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, last week, Kieran, we talked about the plans put forward by the German Football League to enter into a multi-billion euro partnership with a private equity investor. And we talked about the fact that it probably wouldn't happen. Um, it, it probably didn't happen much quicker than we, yes. <laughs> than we thought. But we wanted to get some more insight into this story. So we um, had a chat with Matt Ford, uh, who's a German-based broadcaster with DW Sport. And this was meant to be a quick chat. It turned into a 20-minute chat, but it's well worth listening to because it, it's some fascinating insight here. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Before we get into this remarkable story, could you just tell us briefly a little about yourself and your life in German football? Um, yeah, I'm a I'm, I'm a football journalist with uh, with with Deutsche Welle, um, based uh, based near Cologne. Uh, that's uh, sort of like a, a public broadcaster equivalent, perhaps to the BBC World Service so along along those sort of lines. And uh, yeah, I've been covering German football, Bundesliga, but also a lot of the fan culture and the fan politics and the sports politics that go around German football. So I've been doing that for about for about six or seven years now. Um, and it made yeah, it made this particular story uh, regarding the the German football league uh, quite. Yeah, it came at an interesting time, particularly in the build up to the final day of the of the season on the pitch, which was interesting for its own reasons. So it, it made for a busy week. Well, I was going to say this story is the perfect storm for you, really. Tell us about why the Bundesliga wanted two billion euros of investment, who they were asking to invest, and why it's been a particularly bad week for one Borussia Dortmund fan. Yes, it's. Uh, I think it's good that you mentioned that particular Borussia Dortmund fan. Uh, the yeah. person in the, the person in question being Hans Joachim Watzke, who has a double role in German football. He's most well known, perhaps, for being the yeah the CEO of Borussia Dortmund, uh, but he's also um, the uh, chairman of the supervisory board of the German Football League, the hmm. DFL. Uh, so he's been very much leading. Um, this proposal, this plan to attract two billion euros of investment into the Bundesliga, along with the two interim uh, in, interim CEOs of the DFL, that's um, a man called Axel Hellmann, who uh, is of Eintracht Frankfurt, and a man called Oliver Lecky of SC Freiburg. Um, yeah, ha- where to start? Why did the Bundesliga want two billion? euros of investment. The basic desire was a a desire to increase the value of the Bundesliga's international broadcast rights, um, which are currently substantially less than those elsewhere in Europe. Um, They're currently worth less than 200 million euros per season. So for comparison, La Liga uh, sells international broadcast rights for around 800 million euros a season, whereas the Premier League is selling broadcast rights for approximately 2 billion euros per season mm. so there's a significant dis- uh, difference there and that that's where the that's where the dfl and the bundesliga clubs but particularly the those involved in international competition that's where they see um room for improvement that's where they want to catch up that's where they want to prevent the gap between them and the rest getting even getting even bigger um just to go back a little further back as to why they thought this was 
the way to go. And it it ultimately comes down to the 50 plus one rule, mm. which I think a, a lot of listeners will probably be familiar with, but yeah. just as a, as a, as a quick aside, yeah, uh, stipulates that 50% of the voting shares, voting rights in a German football club must belong to the fans, plus one share to ensure um, majority control and to prevent any external um, majority takeovers. Um, recently, the German comp- uh, federal competition regulator from the government, so an organisation called the Bundeskartellamt, recently decided that the 50 plus one rule is okay. It doesn't contradict uh, German competition law. They were fine with it. The DFL said they were happy with it. The clubs are largely happy with it, and the fans are definitely happy with it. However, everyone accepts that one of the downsides to it is that it does or it can discourage external investment. Because obviously, why would you pump yeah. massive amounts of money into a club when you can't fully control it? So this is the, uh, I suppose, the, the, the negative that people have accepted. Um, so from Vatska's point of view and the DFL's point of view, they thought, well, well, if if the league can't attract substantial investment in its individual clubs at individual club level, why not try and attract that investment at a higher level, uh, at, meaning in the league, in the league as a whole? Um, which is where they came up with this idea, yeah, to um, to bring on board a an investor. And this investor was set to come from the private equity sector. Mm. I believe the forerunner was CVC, um, which does have um, a history of investments in, I believe, La Liga and um, and Ligue 1. But you might have to correct me a little bit on that, but they, they have been involved before. Um, and the idea being that they would invest an immediate capital injection of, of around €2 billion Euros, um, in return for 12.5% of the T of the international broadcast rights revenues over the next twenty years, the idea being that this immediate injection would be invested into things like digitalization, most notably a new online streaming platform. It would also be ring fenced for certain elements of club infrastructure, stadiums, making sure they've got five G, youth academies, training centres, uh, all the sort of investment will go in. The idea being that it would boost the value of the international TV rights, and yeah, over the course of the next twenty years. Everyone would win. Um, however, yeah, to bring it then back to the back to the current and and what's actually happened, this uh, this, this motion was presented to an extraordinary uh, general meeting of the DFL, um, and twenty clubs voted in favour. So that's twenty out of thirty six. That's the Bundesliga and Bundesliga two clubs. So twenty voted in favour, eleven against, five abstained. However, the required two thirds majority, so twenty four votes. Um, was not reached, and so um, as as Vatska said, that's the end of it, and that's democracy. It, it it seems odd. I mean, that's a brilliant explanation, Matt. But there's a, there's a couple of things we probably need to unpack. I mean, first of all, it seems very odd to me that the chief executive of uh, a very high profile club could have such a senior role in German football. Has that never been questioned, or is that fairly common in the history of German football? It's fairly common, although um, the, the the current scenario is slightly strange in that there's almost like a triumvirate currently at the top of the German Football League, as I mentioned, Hans-Joachim Vatska, Axel Hellmann and Oliver Lecky, and that that's partly down to just a very a, a very current issue in that the, the former CEO of the DFL, a lady called Donata Hopfen, um, was actually obliged to, to step down and... Um, yeah, stepped down from her post recently this season um, after only about four or five or six months in the job. Um, she basically made a few sort of 
fairly high profile public gaffes. So got, I think right. in, her fir- in her first public interview, she came out basically saying how uh, there there are no there are no sacred was there, there are no holy grails, no sacred cows. Um, if we have to talk about uh, games in Saudi Arabia or the Super Cup abroad, then okay, oh, really? off the table. Yeah, and right. she was she was told to step down quite quickly after that. So that that's why this is particular situation at the moment where there's a bit of a tri- been, there's been a bit of an interim triumvirate in place. So, so as you say, it was put to a vote, Matt. Was there hmm. any one person or club leading the opposition as Steve Parish sort of did here to the Super League? Absolutely. Yeah. The the two leading opponents. Um, of this, at least at club level, we'll get onto the fans later. Mm. Um, but at club level, you have the two leading opponents were FC San Pauli, so Hamburg club in the in the second division, yep. and Bundesliga side FC Köln, so Cologne. Yeah, um, and yeah, led in particular in the person of the San Pauli chairman, a man called Oka Gertlich, who's uh, regularly quite ex- outspoken on these sorts of issues, as perhaps you'd expect from the president of a club like San Pauli. Yeah. Um, quite well known as one of the, I mean, most German clubs are relatively democratically organised, but San Pauli in particular. Um, in And, and uh, yeah, also Cologne, although um, I, we'll get onto it later, but I would suggest that at Cologne, their stance was probably more down to the pressure that their own fans had put on the club to take that stance rather right. than necessarily coming from the board itself. But we'll, we'll maybe get onto that later. Um, they had... They had three or well, three or four general general issues with with the with the with the, with the plan. The first was the, the idea of a loss of influence and a loss of influence over decision making, particularly regarding the future potential format of the competition, i.e., how the match days would be scheduled, kickoff times, how the kickoff times would be moved around the weekend for TV. Whether there would potentially even be such things as moving the Super Cup, so the equivalent of the Community Shield, um, mm. to Saudi Arabia, like, like has been suggested in Spain or Italy, things, you know, concerns of a loss of influence on things like that. Um, even though uh, Vatska, Helman, and Lecky, who were leading the leading the proposals, that they, they did insist that this wouldn't be the case, that the external investor would not have any sort of decision-making influence on that sort of level, that absolutely would not happen. Simple fact, however, was that these the, the opponents simply weren't convinced, especially because in the week leading up to the vote, um, some of my colleagues at uh, the public broadcaster Sportschau in Germany actually uncovered a document from the, from the proposals in which it absolutely did suggest that a form of veto was going to be accorded to the decision maker uh-huh. right. in, uh, and I quote, business matters which are important to them. Now, when the DFL were then asked to elaborate on that and respond to what that might be, there was no answer. In perhaps it was a little bit short term, but um, so so there was there was a, a slight lack of trust that the investor would would have too much influence after all. Because after all, if you hold if you're putting two billion euros in, you hold the purse strings, you're going to want something in return for that, which may, maybe goes beyond just the two point five percent of revenues over the next twenty years. Um, another another concern that the opponents had was the formula which was going to be used to distribute this money, particularly the the tranche of the investment which would be given to the clubs to use as they want, i.e. for transfers. Um, as it stood, the formula was going to be the same as the one currently used to distribute TV rights money and Champions League money, which a lot of the smaller clubs think is unfair. They think it should be distributed a bit, a bit more fairly. So they thought that this investment would simply cement the status quo and the richer would get richer and the smaller clubs would stay poor and it wouldn't actually change anything. 
Thirdly, there was a general feeling that the whole process had come about a bit too quickly. It was first reported on in about the start of February uh, and that the clubs hadn't been adequately informed or kept up to date. There was some frustration at that. Um, Cologne in particular uh, suggested alternatives. They would have been in favour, you know, if, if there was a need to, to raise money, to raise investment, they would have preferred more traditional loans, more traditional credit facilities, um, mechanisms where they have more control and they're not necessarily gambling on 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 future revenues. So they they were the they were the the, the main the main arguments from the opposition side. Do you know, unfortunately, Matt, we we have time issues, so we haven't got. As, I'd love to discuss this in much further detail with you, but I I do have one or two more questions still. Once the money had been distributed to a club, had it had been gone through, was the plan was that if you know Union Berlin, for example, were given uh, 50 million euros would they be able to spend that as they wanted or would they have had to apply for 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 particular money for particular projects um, it was going to be broken down 40% into digitalization and online streaming and things like that 45% was going to be for club infrastructure stadiums 5g like i said and 15% was going to be used was going to be freely available to the clubs to do what they want however obviously clubs like bayern munich and borussia dortmund for example wouldn't have had any need to invest in their in their stadium, stadium or infrastructure or youth academy infrastructure, because it's already okay. So they would have had they would have had even more to pump into to, to transfers. That that was the issue on on that particular level. Um, I think, well, yeah, yeah, and obviously the the opposition didn't just come from the clubs; it also came from the fans on a fairly <laughs> visible and, and and large scale large scale way. I want to come on to that because what was interesting is that when we spoke about this first on the pod, only. 10, 12 days ago now, Kieran predicted that it, it would be rejected. But I think we're both surprised that given what, we're, what we know about the German club ownership model, the fierce independence of its fans, it came pretty close to being voted through, didn't it? I, I think we all expected it to be maybe one or two of the bigger clubs would vote for it, but it, uh, it, it wasn't far short of the, modern, the majority needed, was it? Yeah, well, 20, 20 votes, I mean, it depends how you look at it, four votes short of a, of a two-thirds majority. Um, it actually surprised me that it didn't go through. Oh, really? Every, yeah, I think every okay. every every second division club, um, with the exception of Fortuna Dusseldorf, voted right. against it. Um, and yeah, the extent to which the fan protest had an, had an impact on that is obviously debatable. Uh, however, they yeah. absolutely were large scale. They were highly engaged. They were highly visible. They went to, they were nationwide over several match days, led in particular by Borussia Dortmund supporters, yeah, um, back, yeah. backed by Bayern Munich, Nuremberg, San Paolo, Cologne, and a few others. The irony being that, particularly in the case of Dortmund and Bayern, it's actually that they're fans of clubs who would stand to benefit most from this. They're the clubs who were the international footprint. They're the ones who are competing with with PSG or Real Madrid or Man United in the international markets. And it was them who didn't want it. And it also, the things that you saw on television or on the, on the yellow wall at Dortmund, for example, all the banners, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There were leaflets, there were stickers, there were articles, interviews, podcasts. There was even a podium discussion with Vatska and Hellman in Dortmund, organized by Dortmund's ultras, um, where all this was discussed. So that the depth that, the, the fans went, the, the length they went to, to to educate others and educate fellow fans around the issues and the concerns that they had, it, it really did go very, very deep. Um, and yeah. a lot of the concerns 
were similar to those of the clubs. The ideas of loss of influence, uh, particularly concerns about the structure of the match day, format of the competition, matches abroad, uh, kickoff times at 11pm to suit an American audience, all that sort of stuff. Um, but I think more generally, underpinning the whole thing, just the general concerns among German football fans uh, over over commercialization um, they they look at the Premier League and I must say they, they, they don't necessarily like it talking of fans I, I noticed in a survey of German fans that the only club fans in favor of it 54 percent of them were RB Leipzig ones um, which is not going to make them any more popular in the country than they are is it um, no, although I mean I wouldn't read too much into it if you no. if you ask if you ask any of those Borussia Dortmund supporters or Bayern Munich or anybody else who was organising the protests, I don't think they could care much less what <laughs> what fans of RB Leipzig think. Yeah, finally, Matt, in terms of finance, where does this leave German football? Will they be having to look for other ways to to make up the money, or will they simply have to, as they would probably say, limbo? I mean, it's interesting that the the loser, so to speak, said that's democracy, that's over. But we know from the Super League that that's not necessarily always the case, is it? It's interesting. It's definitely left German football at a crossroads. I think, given what I said before regarding the acceptance of the 50 plus one rule, and there has been a generally speaking acceptance, not by everybody, but most accept that this is a good thing for German football, that they want it, that they want to preserve the, the positives that that brings, you know, member influence, sustainable football, community connections, all that sort of stuff. People like that. There is a, an acceptance, I think, as well, that, okay, if we want that, then we have to get money from somewhere else. Mm. Um, so uh, there is that acceptance, but I think the, the problem that came with this particular deal was that for the reasons mentioned, it came too quick. It was seen as a gamble on future revenues, which they didn't yet have. There were concerns over loss of influence. So I think the particular issue here was just the way, the way it was gone about. Um, but for, you know, German football is clearly at a crossroads. There's different forces trying to tug it in, in different directions. Um, perhaps you could see, you know, that, the, the Vatska Hellman uh, private equity proposal as as too extreme in one direction. Perhaps you could argue that Sam Paoli's position is too extreme and too utopian in the other direction. Yeah. Um, however, I think the conclusion I've sort of come to over it is that no matter what, no matter which, which direction you think it should go in, whether you think no, open up, go for full investment, compete with the Premier League, go for it, never mind your, you, never mind your democracy, or whether you think no, the fans should control everything. German football is actually proving to be quite an accurate reflection of, of society in that sense. There are different ideas, there are there are opinions, there are different proposals, but people have a say. People are you know the fans can lobby, they can campaign, they do have some they do have some leverage, they do have some agency in all this, and I, I think that's a good thing, no matter how you see it. That that that's a positive, and certainly is a contrast to England where. I mean, if you take the you know, the example of Manchester United at the moment, people can argue about which takeover option they'd prefer, but they don't have a choice, do they? Um, oh, no, no. Whereas the, the, in Germany, that they they do have a certain degree of influence. We're huge fans on the pod of the the influence of uh, German football fans on the game, and I wish it was mirrored here. But that leads me to one further question, and this will have to be our last question, Matt. I do apologise. Do you think this level of opposition shows that there's no chance whatsoever that German clubs will ever take part in the Super League when it does inevitably crop up again? 
It's it's really hard to say. The, if another thing that this proposed this whole proposed with the DFL and the investors has has revealed is that there's clearly a split. Um, there's a split between the top nine or ten clubs in the Bundesliga who perhaps have international ambitions. Uh, this was actually a point made by the former D- DFL CEO recently. Um, yeah, nine or ten clubs who want to be international, they want to compete, uh, but they're in the same organisation as a lot of clubs who. Let's just say in Division Two, I don't know Hansa Rostock, Eintracht Braunschweig, Hanover. I don't know um, who don't care. They simply well, don't care. They don't yeah. care whether Dortmund or Bayern can yeah, compete in the Champions League. So there's clearly a divergence of interests and a divergence of priorities here. Um, which way that will go in the future, I, I really don't know. I, I'd be I'd be getting a crystal ball out at, at that point. But there have been suggestions that we're, we're perhaps heading towards some sort of split. In the organisation of German football, um, but however, like I said, which, which way that will ultimately go um, is, yeah, it's a it's a, a crystal ball situation. Matt, thank you so much for your insight into that issue, and I hope we can call on you again in future to talk about uh, more in depth about German football. Thank you so much. No problem. My pleasure. I was surprised, Kieran, to hear Matt say that he expected this to go through because I was surprised that it it got so close because everything we hear about German football and the the attitude of German fans made me think that this would be voted out by every club, but not the case. It came very close to to coming into being, didn't it? It it did, and... um... I think we have to separate the uh, the psyche of German football fans from the, the mentality of owners. And you know, from their point of view, I, I can understand that you know, Matt, Matt was explaining to us the, the quantum of the value of the international rights in particular mm. for the Bundesliga and benchmarking it against the Premier League. And, and clearly it's, it's, a, it's a very small amount. Um, and I think this was the attractiveness, um, not necessarily to Bayern Munich. You know, Bayern Munich are a super club in their own right, um, but those other sort of mid to upper tier clubs in the in the in, the, uh, in Bundesliga one. Um, but uh, clearly, there, there was opposition, um, and uh, I, you know, my my view. I mean, when, when I when I wrote the the Price of Football book. I did have a chapter which was called "What Good Has Private Equity Done for Football," mm. and then just left a blank page. <laughs> and the 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 publisher says we're having none of that sort of communist nonsense in, in, <laughs> in a book from a, from my company. Um, so, so that that was vetoed. Um, so much for artistic freedom and integrity. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, taking what was it, twelve and a half percent, fifteen percent of of future revenues for a long period of time. Uh, that that's the pitch. Um, you you can understand the reticence, and also private equity. Um, you know they that they do they are good at extracting concessions from from projects. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not completely opposed to private equity, but uh, they're not doing it for the love of football. I, and something that hadn't occurred to me, Kieran, to be quite honest, is is Matt talked about the fact that the the fifty plus one rule is virtually sacrosanct. Uh, there's been discussions about it recently, but everyone agrees that it should be retained. But it didn't occur to me that, of course, that does put off wealthy investors 
buying into specific clubs because they will never have full control. That's right. Um, and, uh, you know, one of, the, uh, one, one of the benefits of being a club owner is that it becomes your plaything and you can do with it as you see fit if you've got over 50% of the votes and therefore you can appoint the board of directors to be your, uh, your lickspittles to be the Smithers, to the Monty Burns, who are the owners. Um, and that cannot uh, be the case uh, very easily as far as German football is concerned. So, you know, from, from our perspective as legacy fans, from football romantics perspective, we see the benefits. Um, but if I'm a billionaire who wants to put a load of money, if, if I wanted to put £5 billion into a football club, but not get control, you, you can see the reluctance, especially when there are alternatives such as English football where those rules don't apply. So the, the logic is that money is effectively uh, potentially not arriving in Germany and, and ending up in, in clubs in different countries as a result of the 50 plus one rule. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a classic case of uh, you know, uh, unintended consequences of, of what was a, uh, a really good intention uh, as far as the the rule itself which was to to protect the club as being part of the community yeah we should wrap up now king because i'm aware this is a longer pod than normal so those of our listeners who claim to listen to it in the gym they're going to be knackered um there's going to be some very tired dogs as well because a lot of people <laughs> listen to this walking their dog the next price of football show live is upon us we'll be down in plymouth uh, Argyle's Home Park Stadium on Tuesday, the 6th of June. There was, a, I think there's two tickets left now. They're available from Argyle's website. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to that pod as well, then please go to patreon.com slash price of football, the pod, not that pod, it's our pod. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you as always for all of the support, all of the interaction on the show. We, we genuinely appreciate it. Um, for people that support us via Patreon, again, you're, you're very generous. Um, and I believe that in, in some of the tiers on Patreon, you, you get to listen to the show without adverts, which is, which is an alternative. Um, you can support the show in other ways, which we don't necessarily cost you money. You know, this is a finance show. And we appreciate that times are tough. Um, and one of those ways is, is to go onto your app and uh, to, to give us a review. By all accounts, according to producer, it doesn't matter what you write uh, on the review. You could even say you would rather have the show presented by Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Holly Johnson of Frankie Goes to Hollywood, which I think would be quite a surreal show, to put it mildly. Yeah, I'll tell you what, it was brilliant to see Frankie Goes to Hollywood uh, the night before Eurovision. That was a, a, a lovely little treat. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They are uh, one of Liverpool's finest. Of course. Of, of a city which has many fine bouts. Uh, yes, yeah, a positive upbeat note for the city of Liverpool. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the